0: to the Influence Factory podcast. This program is dedicated to support professionals who have a desire to develop their digital business influence so they can navigate through a fast-paced, constantly growing digital world. We invite newcomers as well as our family of business influencers to a place to play, share ideas, questions, tips, and guidance with other thought leaders around the globe. Sit back and enjoy our program with your host, Dean Delisle, as he interviews guests. News and commentary are provided by Jackson Delisle and Monica Hacker. Power Move lessons are provided by the Influencer Marketing Department at Social Jack. And production, editing, and distribution is provided by the Social Jack production team.
1: Today's show is brought to you by Planable. Planable Planable.io gives your social media team everything they need to really move their creative process forward. It allows you to preview social media posts as they are live, real time. No more screenshots, mock-ups, spreadsheets. Your clients (laughs) can review content from within the platform. And do you have anything to say about it, Monica? It's a great platform. We've been using it now for a month. I love it. Um, It's a game changer in the content world. I highly suggest it. Yeah, go to P-L-A-N-A-B-L-E dot I-O to start your free trial today. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Influence Factory. This week's influencer is Billy Dexter. Uh, He's currently managing partner at Hydric & Struggles, a global leadership advisory firm. He works with companies to help them find leadership talent across all industries and sectors. And some of his clients... Which are super cool and timely for today's world, uh, the NBA, uh, John Deere, J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, Deloitte, NCAA, Live Nation, and a whole bunch of other uh, companies that that I'm sure you've heard of. Um, he's involved primarily, and and I learn everything about diversity from this man. But he he is the authority on uh, diversity advisory practice. He works with COOs, CHROs, consumer uh, practice, as well as working across the industry groups and sectors. So, Billy, my friend, how you doing, man?
2: I'm great. I'm great, Dean. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, man, I haven't seen you since we were uh, hanging at the Clayton.
2: Uh, Yeah, no, that was a great night. Um, That's one of the places that... uh, you know, I can really, you know, kind of relax and bring uh, great friends. And, you know, my wife just always says, what, what the heck do you guys do for like three, four, five hours? I say, you know, babe, we just have a great cigar and uh, some adult beverages. <laughs> and we just, you know, talk about every topic you can imagine. And it's so- a great way to connect.
1: Yeah, so here's what I think is the magic, and this is the magic that you and I have talked about and we're going to talk about today, um, is, that, uh, is that we have, um, when we connected and, and we met that night, all of a sudden I started running into people that I knew that you also knew, and then all of a sudden our man Haj comes walking into the room, and I've known him since like the beginning days of Hajj. And so it was just funny that we knew the same people, you know? Like, I think that's such a Chicago right. cool thing, but we're also both networkers, so.
2: Yes, yes. No, that and, and that's the, you know, I've always felt that, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that the Clayton does is allow me to bring people together who, in most cases, don't know each other, but they have something in common, um, and when you sit down and 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 just kind of, you know, uh, have a have a drink in a very cool, relaxed environment, uh, it's amazing how the how the magic happens, and and that is done intentionally, Dean. Um, it's not just happen circumstances. In this case, I didn't know that you knew Hodge, so uh, that made it even more special.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, and I just think, um, I don't know, that just, that to me is some of the magic that happens when you start getting good people coming together, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it, part of it is, and I do it, you know, all day. It's been part of, you know, my life for the last 25, 30 years. But um, when, when you find people that have, you know, some commonalities, some things in common. Uh, that's where it really starts to blossom because uh, you can quickly connect on those things and then it just goes from there.
1: Yeah, right on, right on. Um, So we're going to get into your story a little bit. Before we do that, um, uh, you know, I see some pictures behind you of familiar people. uh, And uh, and, um, and I know you were an All-American in college. So have you always had that, competitive sports bug and i know you work with ncaa and nba i'm sure that's no accident so it's like is that just a passion of yours that drives you back into the sports world all the time
2: yeah you know i i enjoyed sports as a, you know as a, a youngster in, in high school and and ran track in college um and uh you know it was, it was uh, one of the the places where i first learned the idea of setting goals. Um, And and as a freshman, my track coach sat me down and said, hey, here's where I think you should be in terms of, you know, your times and and certain events. And they were such a leap from where I had already been. My, My personal record was, you know, this was a significant leap. And um, uh, so, one, I was I was fascinated that he, that somebody else thought I could get there. But then what followed was he, he said, well, if this is where you're at and this is where I see you by the end of the season, we've got some work to do. And so that's when, you know, I learned that, you know, shorting, setting short-term goals, um, long-term goals, the importance of practice, uh, being focused. And little did I know at that time that that would carry over for the rest of my life.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and, and, uh, and so when I, when I look at sports, I know the work that has to go there. A lot of times people view it as a fan and you just see this great athlete, like, you know, Tiger Woods, who is probably the greatest golfer of our time. Um, uh, the, the amount of work, Dean, that he puts in in terms of practicing and getting there, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And so I'm, I'm drawn to that when people are focused and determined and they've set goals and they achieve it. And you can see that real time uh, in sports. Um, yeah. so, so it's something that I uh, have always enjoyed. Um, and, and so if you've got an opportunity to do work in those spaces, which I've been fortunate to do with the NCAA and uh, NFL and and NBA uh, working, you know, with the league offices, and uh, it's just been really exciting.
1: Yeah, that is that's that's super cool, and uh, and you you have to feel blessed by that. And I understand you have twins, right?
2: Yes, I uh, I have twin girls uh, who they will be celebrating their ninth birthday wow. on Saturday. So my wife and I are trying to, you know, uh, put together this virtual uh, birthday party. Uh, So, you know, it's kind of the new normal. And they're, you know, they're they're in, uh, they're upstairs and they're, uh, uh, they've got virtual classes going on. Matter of fact, I just ran into them in the kitchen. They were having a little snack before gym. I'm like <laughs> how do you do gym virtually? I'm like, Yeah. Look, I, I can't even get into that. I'm going downstairs. they <laughs> excited. Like,
1: yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, well that well and a happy birthday to them. I know that's a that's a special time, special age, and I can only imagine how they're processing all this, you know. Yes,
2: yeah. No, we we've had some real conversations about about this uh with them. Um, and it, and it's amazing man how receptive kids are um, uh, and, and so they' they they get it probably the biggest thing for them was you know telling them hey um, won't be going back to school till you know the fall and you know they immediately thought about their friends you know one of my daughters is like well dad I got stuff in my locker what's gonna happen? <laughs> Baby, it's gonna be okay you'll you'll right. be able to get it back you know so you know kids are resilient man they can oh, yeah. they can uh deal with a lot more stuff than, than 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 we can in most cases
1: no I know I talked to my seventeen year old she's uh she's a junior in high school, and it's funny they um she's uh she's a performer on stage she sings and I can hear her say They have to sing and record and turn it in as their assignment, or sing live, you know, for the instructors. So it's just funny hearing all that going on up in her room, you know, as, as they're or they're practicing. And I'm like, how are you guys doing that on Zoom? Isn't there like a delay or something?
2: Right, well, right. Well, um, and I know we'll probably get into this later, but uh, you know, this has created some tremendous opportunities. Uh, you know, and I kind of. You know, I've forced myself to look at these at this time as a unique opportunity versus, you know, something negative, whether it's a unique opportunity to spend this time with my girls, you know, because I'm usually traveling or for me and my wife to do some cool things, work on our house, Uh, whether it's, you know, the opportunity to uh, to reconnect with clients and friends and because everybody's at home, you know, uh, so, you know, I, I think this is a real unique opportunity and time for, for us. And um, I've just kind of chosen to, you know, it took me a while to, you know, after maybe week five, and I think we're in week seven or or, or so, to, to find the right rhythm. Yeah. And to, to, to kind of, you know, I, uh, look at this from a positive standpoint. And ever since I've embraced that, you know, uh, I'm okay. I mean this is this actually works out uh pretty well.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I um yeah, I appreciate that. I uh it's you know when when it started to happen and um you know, I grew up on the streets. You had your share of that as well, which we'll get into yeah. in a minute. Um but um I think it was an opportunity for me personally to slow down a little bit. I was, I was two cities a week and I was getting ready to do maybe three cities a week. And you know, that grill, you know, that, that's a drill in itself. Right. And so, you know, and then you're home on the weekends and you're tired and, Everybody wants to do something, and you're like, "Okay, let's do it." (laughs) You know, you're just like, you got to reach in for that athlete in you to keep moving through the weekend. And uh, one of the, you know, one of the things related to to COVID that really sort of had me slow down a little bit was uh, the fact that, um, you know, when. When it all started to happen, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, let's, let's get my family together across the country and get them on a zoom call and we can see everybody. And we did this happy hour with the family. Uh, And then all of a sudden I'm like looking at everybody and looking at the kids and the kids growing up and everything like that. Um, You know, and, and, and I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, I'm in this business of broadcasting and, and doing shows and, and webcasting. And I said, why didn't I think of this sooner? I could have been with my family on a more regular basis right. instead <laughs> of twice a year, you know? And I'm just like, so, so I like what you said because it's like a realization of being even more connected when we can't be in person. And it's, yeah. I think it's opened up a whole new world there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It it, it really is. You just got to kind of, uh, you know, stop for a second and, and think about the opportunities to uh to connect. I think they're even they're even more so uh you know readily available with the use of uh technology.
1: Yeah and I'm doing walks. I'm doing like two hour uh well I probably three miles three miles or so a day and I never did that. I always like I was always rushing somewhere so I'd rush yeah. to the gym and I'd rush here and I'd rush there, you know, and
0: that yeah. would be
1: like and I'm like oh my gosh, I, I noticed so many more people and things around my neighborhood and my area and my surroundings that I just never knew. Yeah. I never paused enough to know.
2: Yeah. No, I I uh, dusted off, but I have this very expensive bike that I probably haven't ridden in two years. Same. It's been hanging, you know, on the wall in the garage, you know, I dusted it off, took it to the bike shop, got it, you know, ready to go and been, you know, riding in a neighborhood. Just you know, uh, really, just kind of appreciating, you know, where I live, and you know, uh, it's just so many positive things that can come out of that. the 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 thing that you that that you have to kind of balance is so once you find a rhythm and you got you know good stuff going, I've noticed that uh, uh, the news can really be you know, a, a downer um, yeah. and, and you've got to, you've got to uh, kind of manage the intake of that. I think it's appropriate to, you know, you want to be up to date, you want to know what's happening, but this constant having the news on in the background, checking it all the time, you know, I, I, I felt like that was kind of, you know, getting you, you know, anxiety, the, 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 the scoreboard of, you know, cases and deaths. And, you know, I mean, it's just like, is this real? Yeah. You know, um, so, you know, I, I, I just got to kind of manage it and find the right rhythm.
1: Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Well listen, I've been dying to dig into your story because I've uh, you and I have swapped stories several times yeah. and um uh, I sort of want to uh, take it back to uh the childhood, how you grew up because I believe that's what molds us and makes us who we are and and you and I have talked about this a number of times. Um if you could uh just just take us back and take us through uh you know sort of the the story about um you know how you got in uh, how you grew up and how you got into college I just I'm gonna let you take it from there because it's it's okay. an amazing story
2: okay well um, so Dean as, as you know we've, we've talked about this uh, uh, and and for me to uh, be comfortable in talking about this on a po- podcast uh, that's a journey in itself I mean because for so for for, for years uh, this was something that I was embarrassed and, you know, didn't really own my own story, uh, but I've since embraced it and I'm comfortable with it. And I know that there's, you know, I just kind of own my own truth. And, and uh, um, you know, I think my journey and, and some of the things that I've experienced, is, um, you know, can be a great lesson. And that was one of the reasons why we included it uh, in the book. But, but essentially, I uh, grew up in, uh, in Detroit, um, the fourth of five kids. My parents moved uh, from the south part of the Great Migration uh, in the 50s uh, from, from uh, uh, the Mobile, Alabama area to, uh, uh, to Detroit, uh, where, you know, the promise of, you know, jobs working in and, and uh, as we called it back then, the plant uh, whether it was Ford, General Motors, you know, Chrysler, um, uh, and, uh, and, and so, so we settled, we, my parents settled there, uh, had five kids, um, and, uh, you know, we kind of grew up around the whole Motown thing, you know, the, the, the went to school with, you know, Diana Ross's kids and, you know, temptations lived around the corner. I mean, so every everything was, you know, uh, man. The, the way to get out of the the hood was to, you know, to be an entertainer, you yeah. know, back then, or or an athlete. Um, and so, and then, of course, you know, in the the you know uh, mid sixties, you know, early seventies, you know, the drug uh, climate was was real big. So you saw a lot of that, uh, in, in the neighborhood as well. Oh yeah. Um, and so, you know, just going through school and, and, uh, uh, doing, you know, navigating through, I'd always enjoyed school and, uh, was athlete, play football and, 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 uh, ran track, uh, in high school. And, uh, when I was, uh, 13, uh, and, oh, and I should say, I have a younger brother, uh, so I'm the fourth of five, and he's the he's the, the baby, if you if you will. Uh, but one of the interesting things is that we are uh, only ten months apart. Wow! Um, and so I, I think they called it Irish twins or something <laughs> like that. But um, uh, it was you know my mother was kind of you know obsessed with this twin thing so a lot of people thought that we were twins.
1: That's funny. Uh,
2: and, uh, you know, I was held back, uh, uh, uh to, for school. So we started at the same time. Um, and so we went from kindergarten through 12th grade, you know, uh, in the same school and probably up until we were 14, you know, we wore if uh, whatever we wore to school or whatever. He had one color, I had the other color. And you know, it was uh I you know, I, I I used to uh hate my mom for doing that to us and we weren't really twins. <laughs> right. Relatives would say, Hey, where are the twins? You know. <laughs> so but anyway, uh, at thirteen my parents uh, uh divorced and uh my older brothers and sisters were kind of, you know, on their uh own journey and um uh, uh my two older sisters, you know, both had gotten I think they were both uh, uh, pregnant by 15, 16 years old, um, and uh, my older brother was uh, got caught up in kind of drugs and you know spent some time in jail, um, and so it was it was a tough you know uh, upbringing. You know, at thirteen, the parents got divorced, and so uh, my mom uh, now was just raising me and my brother, and and our in our uh, um, two-bedroom uh, home, and uh, and I remember Dean that she sat us on the couch uh, and said, "Look, hey, it's just the three of us now. Um, you know, Mama's gonna do whatever she can to take care of you boys. But when you become eighteen, you get you're a man. You gotta you're gonna be on your own. And I'll never forget. I mean, that just impacted me so." Uh, uh, strongly because um, you know I, I took it literally. You know I just I said wow. You know thirteen. <laughs> you know I got I got I got to figure this out. You know, um, and so you know it started to to, to um, kind of shift some things in my mind that uh, you know I, I I don't know if I ever thought that she would actually put me out the house um but 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 she definitely instilled that I needed to take some ownership uh and and figure out what my life was going to be at 18 um so for two months of the year my br- brother and I are the same age uh and so you know we shared a room uh with uh uh, uh one uh one bed that we slept in the same bed I think until we were 15 uh, and
1: um, but those were some uh, wrestling matches. There. Oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, get your feet out of my face, you know all that type of thing. Um, but you know, it it really helped us to bond together, and we would spend time talking about, you know, hey man, what are you gonna do? I don't know. What are you gonna do? You know, every year, we we'd kind of you know challenge each other, um, and cool. then when we got to uh, I was seventeen. And I was a senior, uh, uh, going into my senior year, you know, I was really kind of obsessed with that thought of what I was going to do. So I, I kind of came up with three choices. Um, and that was one to, to get a job, uh, in Detroit. Uh, and, and when I say a job, it's, you know, I'm, I'm talking about it, probably an hourly job, um. Or, uh, and hopefully one that had benefits um, uh, or to go to the service, which was, you know, yeah. uh, honorable thing. A lot of men in my family had done that.
1: <laughs> When I think um, at that time, we all had that checkbox as a possibility. You know, my right, dad yeah. was in this, my dad was in the service too. So I was like, I was always one checkbox away from like, <laughs> right, screw right, this, yeah. I'm going to the Air Force <clears throat> or whatever it is. You know?
2: Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, no, so, and, and it wasn't a bad option either.
1: Right. <clears throat>
2: but it was just, you know, a totally different route. Right. And then
1: uh,
2: Dean, the third one was uh, the the thought of going on to college um and which was uh you know today's might seem why wouldn't that be the first option well the reason why it was the third option was that I didn't even know anybody that went to college yeah it wasn't something education was never something that we had talked about in our family um uh you know no one in my you know kind of immediate circle was was thinking about college so it was really this kind of remote you know thing
1: and um, and, and i've got to imagine i i was you know i grew a, uh, around the steel mills of gary right and so yeah. it was like everybody was going to the mill going to the mill going yeah, to the mill yeah, and so absolutely. i had to imagine you're in this you know motor city madhouse there i imagine it's it was the same thing right you're going to go work at ford or whatever yeah. right so yeah
2: and and those weren't bad options i mean right you know back then you know where could you uh, you know, with the, with a high school diploma or a GED, you know, get a, a middle-class job, you know, right. um, uh, without, you know, education. That was something that, you know, uh, thousands of families, you know, experienced that. So, so that would, that would have been the ultimate. If I would have landed a job there, then man, just, you know, now you can work this for 20, 30 years and you're good. You know. And I
1: bet you had friends that, that went that path, right? Oh
2: yeah. yeah. Friends Same. and family. Same, yeah. yeah. Friends and family. Yeah. So, um, so I, I decided that I wanted to pursue this college thing and um, uh, wasn't smart enough to go to a guidance counselor. I, you know, figured I'd kind of do this on my own. Sure. Um, you know, and, and so uh, unbeknownst to, to, to anybody, Um, I started going to the library on Saturdays and, uh, I would fill out a college application and, you know, I, I, uh, I get a money order and send it, send it along. Cause back then, I think it was 30, $40 to, to get it processed. You know, you had to send along a check or a money order. And I certainly didn't have a check, checking account or anything like that, but I did have a job. Where I was bussing tables, and I mean, so
1: was I. Free. Yeah, that's right. We were both busboys. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bussing tables, and and so, um, so I would take half of my paycheck every week and send off a college application. Okay, no strategy, no, you know, why this school? Just they had a good football team, or i had heard of them, or you know, something. Uh, and so I'd send off all these applications. Um, and my thinking at the time was that I wasn't going to tell anybody because if this didn't work, no one, no one would know. Yeah. Right. You know, and so <laughs> I just signed up for the survey. Uh, and during that, I should say during that process, um, I did go to, um, uh, to the, uh, army office and went through the whole presentation and. Uh, we spent about two hours together. I did everything but sign and I, and I told the guy, I said, Hey, look, if my other option doesn't come through. I'll be back. You I'll know, back. I basically like hold the spot for me. You know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. You
2: know, I, I, I'll be back if, if this doesn't work. And, uh, of course, you know, he would say, I was getting letters every week from them. um, So, so sent off all these college applications and and by the time that was done, Dean, I realized that I sent 16 uh, applications uh, out. And of course, um, you know, you had to take this uh, thing called the ACT and SAT, which I had no idea what it was about. And I did no preparation, found out where you could take it. I paid for it. And uh, again, Keep in mind, as a 17-year-old kid, no one knows. My parents, my father, mother, brother, sister, no one knows that I'm I'm even pursuing this whole thing. Uh, and so I did uh, took the test. I thought it was a joke. I mean, I'd you know, just making patterns on the test, because I didn't know any of that. And of course my score didn't come out very good at all. Um, but, uh, I started getting responses from the schools and every other day I would get a letter and, and they were all rejections and, and basically saying, you know, um, uh, and, and, and I should know, uh, this is, is, this is critical, uh, part of the story. Um, I had a 2.4 GPA. Okay. <laughs> um, and my philosophy there was, um, as I understood, uh, a C passed. Um, and so that was my goal was to do as little as I could to just make sure that I passed. I couldn't understand why people were doing homework and <laughs> you know, trying to get an A. What what is that all about?
1: Well, you if were a, in track I, at the time too, right? Right, yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. I was an athlete and, and, and I also played football too. And, and right. so the, the thing with our coaches was passing your classes. Yep. So by the time I was a senior, I had all C's, you know. And and um so so it 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 started to show up when all these schools started denying me admission. Uh, And uh, by the time it was over, um, all 16 schools basically said I wasn't college material and denied me admission. Uh, uh, However, there was one school that in the back then we called it Ding Letters. And I still have the book. For some reason, uh, back then I decided that I was gonna keep these letters. Got them laminated, put them in a folder, <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, and and so at the at one of the schools was the school Saginaw Valley State College in Saginaw, Michigan, which was two and two hours and change away from the inner city of Detroit. Uh, so they turned me down, uh, Dean, But at the bottom of the letter, they said, "If you would like to discuss this decision, uh, give us a call." And set up an appointment. Now, none of the other letters gave me that option. I was just flat out, "No." I'm sorry to inform you, blah blah blah. Um, so uh, I called them um, and and said, "Hey, I'd like to set up an appointment." We set up an appointment, and I'm sure they never thought that you know anybody <laughs> would call, but I did. Um, and so, so now
1: I'm just, I'm thinking in my head, who put this on the bottom of these letters, the the conversation at the office.
2: Right, exactly. So, so I called them again, 17 year old, no one knows this. So I get this appointment. Now I run into my first hurdle. We don't even own a car, Dean. And this is two hours, two hours and 15 minutes away. Um, and so now i got to figure out how am I going to get up there again? I'm trying to keep this secret. Um, so my buddy had just gotten his, uh, his, uh, uh, driver's license and he, you know, uh, he had a little piece of a car and he was really proud of it, took care of it, you know? And, and, um, and so I approached him at lunch one day and said, Hey man, I got this interview for school up in Saginaw. I got I got 30 bucks on gas, man. Can you can you roll me up there? And he was too excited to do it. Uh, so, road trip. So road road trip. trip, yeah. So imagine two 17-year-old kids. Oh yeah. We 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 didn't tell our parents. We skipped school that day. And uh he came and picked me up, not at my house, at a gas station, you know, a couple blocks away. So no one would suspect anything. We bought a map. We mapped it out on the hood. And, you know, we hopped in the car and drove up to Saginaw, Michigan. Um, little did I know that that was going to be such a significant point in my life. But uh, So we get up there. Jane and I, you know, uh, we make it. And I own one suit. And uh, I, I change in the back seat. And put on my suit, and I, you know, I get ready to go into my appointment, and my buddy says, "Hey Billy, let's let's pray about this." Um, and so he, he again, two seventeen-year-old kids, he, he prays with me. We're up in this rural part of Saginaw, Michigan, which I, at that point, had never really been out of Detroit, um, and uh, and so I go in, and and I sit there, wait for my appointment. Lady comes out and um, calls my name, and she says, "Oh, where are your parents?" And I say well, my parents, uh, "You know, they had to work." I made up something. She says, "Well, you here by yourself?" "You go, yes, ma'am. How did you get here?" You know, I told her my my. I said my cousin drove me. Where's he? He's in a. Well, he decided to stay in the parking lot. So you guys came up here from Detroit by yourself yes ma'am wow come on in so go in and sit and and basically it took her all of five minutes dean to look at my transcript and basically say hey uh doesn't look like um, you know there's any indication that you could be successful here and you know you had a 2.4 and blah 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 and, uh, basically said, uh, unfortunately, we're not gonna be able to do anything for you.
1: Do you remember that moment?
2: Oh, I remember the uh the conversation. I remember everything that she said to me, and I I distinctively remember my response because I don't know where it came from. But uh I basically said, um, well, ma'am, um that the transcript that you're looking at, that's not who I am. Um, I never really applied myself. And all I'm re- all I really want is a chance. I know I can do it. I just need someone to give me a chance and to, and to believe in me. Uh, and, you know, yeah, it's, I know it says, you know, uh, 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 it was actually a 2.38. So I always say 2.4 makes it sound better, but. Um, that's, that's, that's not, you know, the, the person I, I am. And so she listened and, and, and basically still said no <laughs> because I fell well below kind of their, you know, bottom line. I think if you had like a 2.8, they would maybe consider a special program. And so as I, I and, you know, and I was just gracious because that, you know, the, this was the, my last shot. And you know, starting to realize, okay, maybe this is not going to happen. Yeah. I always had the service, um, and uh, so I said, getting ready to leave. She said, "Well, hold on a minute. Um, listen, I need you to really hear me on this. Um, I'm not sure if there's there's uh, a lot we can do, but you deserve our best, and I'm going to ensure that we look at all options." So uh, give us a couple weeks, you'll hear something, but I need, to know, need you to know it doesn't look good, but but you deserve our best. You made the effort to come up here and we're gonna see what we can do. Nice. And um, so, you know, I left out of there, went back to the car and he said, how'd it go? I go, man, I got a, I got a little bit a of chance. A, a chance here. And um, so I go back home, no one knows. <clears throat> that, uh, that I did the, this road trip. But I think my mother started to to, to get a, a hint of something because every day I'm checking the mail, Dean. Uh, and, uh, you know, I finally, maybe a week or so later, get a letter from them. Because this is way before email and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and it was one of those one-pagers, which I had gotten 16 of them already. Right. I knew what that felt like. And uh, and I remember going into the basement, which was unfinished and dimly lit, and uh, I was just afraid to open this because I I knew that it was going to be impacting my future. And so I finally got the courage to open it and uh, read it, and the first word first word was congratulations. You've been admitted on probation. Uh, if you can get a, uh, a C plus average over 12 credit hours, we'll consider you for a full admission. Wow. Man, I started crying like a baby. Uh, and, you know, and it was the first time that someone really believed in me. Yeah. Uh, and, and I felt like the first time. You know, someone gave me a chance.
1: Well, you got uh, the break. You got the break on the streets, man. We're always looking for that that chance. You know, yes. give me a chance, right? Give yep. me an opportunity, and I will run with it because I got to get out of here.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you know? I'm, not, I'm not asking for anything extra, you know. But just if you can give me a chance, let me prove myself. You know that that's all I want. So, um, so, so what happens next was really. Telling because um, I, I run upstairs, my mom sleep, uh, and I wake her up, jump on her bed, and mom, look, look, I got I got this letter. So she reaches and put on her glasses and she reads this and she goes, her first words were college. What college wants you? You know. <laughs> Thanks, keep, mom. In mind, keep in mind <laughs> she no no reference of college, no. But what she knew about me, I wasn't college material either, according to my mom. Um, and uh, and 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 then she she said, you know, uh, uh, she she said, wow, okay, baby, I can barely put food on the table for you and your brother because there were times, when we were on welfare and you know very limited uh, resources. I. I can't afford no college. How much is this going to cost? And so, um, you know, Dean, that was the first time that I'd realized that I thought once you got uh, accepted, it was paid for, you know, I mean, that's how raw this was. I mean, cause I, I didn't go to anybody to get counseling.
1: Yeah. No guidance counselor.
2: Yeah. You know, I'm scholarship, financial aid, whatever. I don't have to pay anything.
1: But think about you know, that. Think you didn't have any of those limiting things in there either, no. right? So it was like right. I'm going for it, nobody's right. stopping me. Right.
2: So that was actually probably a blessing. Yeah. Because I didn't I didn't think about how I was gonna pay for it. It was just focused on someone giving me a chance. And and I would and I would and I would say, and my mother would for years talk about how I didn't hesitate. I said, Mom uh god wants me to go to college she's going to help me find a way um and so shortly after you know I heard about financial aid and started applying and I ended up receiving it and now you know I'm I'm uh on my way nice and uh uh and so so got over the first hurdle i'm now in college uh, it's a very I, mean, I live in the inner city everything's pretty much all black uh, in my world at that point to total opposite, um, where rural, uh, uh northern Michigan, um, and, uh, campus is very rural. I think there may be, uh, 3%, uh, African-Americans, you know, at, at school, um, you know, I, I, I get into a dorm where I've got seven, uh, white roommates, um and you know in most of my classes I'm the only African American um and and I really for the first time Dean started to realize uh how underprepared that I was yeah you know I worked so hard to get there um but but by the end of my first week I'm like Oh, this is the bad call. I, it's, like, it's like
1: putting everything into tryouts and then realizing, oh, man, I got to show up and play. <laughs> right,
2: right, right, right. So I'm in my classes and people are taking notes. I realized I'd never taken notes. Uh, Dean, I, I in high school, man, I, I can't even remember a time when I did homework because I was an athlete and I got passed through. Um, and, uh, and so... All this was new. And so by the yeah. end of that first week, I'd realized that, you know, man, I'm in mean, over my head. I got nothing. Um, but I'd met a guy who was, uh, uh, who was a senior uh, at orientation. He was from, uh, from uh, the uh, uh, Detroit area as well. And um, he kind of, you know, motivated me and told me to, hey, there's some study skills, workshops. They'll teach you how to take tests, how to take notes, how to study. Uh, That'll get you up to speed. I had to do the same thing. But um, man, you you can make this. Uh, And then he said, um, there'll be a lot of people that say you ought to go back to Detroit and get yourself together uh, and then consider coming back. But every time you hear that, you double down on yourself and use that as a motivation and say, I am not leaving here without this decree. Um, and so I, I kind of, I didn't really know what that meant, uh, but but man, did that show up a few weeks later? Um, oh, I mean, I'm sorry, a few months later, as I started navigating my way and started hitting some obstacles that so many times that was the, the, the go-to phrase, well, hey, you know, after this semester, you should probably go on back to Detroit, go to community college and, you know, all that. And I just kind of use that to to motivate me. And I'll just wrap up and and say, um, I was able to uh, uh, get a uh, a, a, a 2.5 that first semester. So I got to C plus right on the nose. Uh, with taking the, the four uh, four classes. Um, I was admitted uh, on uh, uh, fully into the university the second semester um, and uh, end up uh, navigating my way through uh, for four years had every financial and academic challenge that you could imagine um, but but now I was pretty, kind of battle-tested in terms of obstacles and challenges. You know, I just kind of took them head on. Uh, and there were so many, Dean. I, I, I'll just tell you one that was um, – uh, and, and, and keep in mind, most of my uh, uh, college classmates and teammates had no idea that I was going through this. But one semester after coming back from the summer where I had a summer job, working at an amusement park in Ohio, Cedar Point.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, okay, right.
2: Yeah, and I, I stayed there and, and lived there for the summer, come back, and it saved uh, about $800. Um, but I came back to find out that um, I, I was number 38 on the waiting list for a dorm. Um, my financial aid hadn't come through, uh, and uh, I found myself in the director a financial aid uh, office. And he basically was the first time he told me, said, hey, look, this is not gonna work out for you. Um, no place for you to stay. Uh, I, you know, I don't see how you're gonna pay for your classes. You know, I think you should, you know, uh, going back uh, home, come back, try this in the uh, second semester uh, in, uh, in January. And, you know, and, and we'll we'll be ready for you then. And I remember sitting there going, no, not happening. <laughs> I'm going to figure this out. So uh, a, a series of incidents happened that just really uh, made me say, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. So I walk out of his office trying to figure out what, what I was going to do. Um, and I'm, I'm going to the register uh, to figure out if I could, you know what's the process to register for classes? Right. And I find out the minimum deposit that you can put down for classes uh, to to at least the first deposit was four hundred dollars for classes.
1: There's your goal. Like,
2: okay. <laughs> all right. I got I got uh, I got eight hundred. So I put four hundred dollars down. And so while I'm in line to sign, because you had to sign up for a different line for different classes. So I'm in line for this other class and I still have no place to to go to live. I overhear these two women talking about uh, Delta College, which was about six miles down the road, uh, that they had some open dorm rooms that they were renting to Saginaw Valley students. And so I kind of lean in and I hear that I go wow uh so i step out of line and i go to a phone booth. okay i'm really dating myself
1: <laughs> put in a you have quarters
2: you're <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> put in a couple quarters call the operator they connect me and they say that they have two uh uh two rooms left and i said oh could you hold one for me uh, i'll be right over there and uh so uh uh, a friend of mine uh, let me use her car. And so I drove over there, you know, the six miles, getting there. And I didn't even ask how much it was. I was just so excited that, you know, I got a place. And find out the, the deposit uh, to, to get a room uh, was $400. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, got- yeah. $400 in my pocket. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so I'm in school my second semester, uh, my, my second year, and I'm living at Delta College, which is six miles away, and it was in a very rural environment. Um, and, you know, I didn't have a car. Um, so then it was one of the other obstacles that that, that, that were presented in front of me. And again, I was thinking, man, I'm not leaving here without this degree. I'm going to double down on myself. So without anybody knowing, uh, I would get up at 5 a.m. every morning, and I would run down uh, these two long country roads. You know, it was pitch black. Three miles one way, three miles another way. And I'd get to campus, uh, and uh, one of my, uh, the only person that that knew about this was one of my teammates. Uh, He would uh, let me keep my stuff there in the room. Oh, that Um, was nice. And uh, and I would shower there in their dorm room. and because you know college students don't get up till ten or eleven or something, <laughs> so I would shower and, and use their bathroom before anybody was up, and then I was off doing my class. Um, and I did that for uh, for a whole semester, um, and it was you know, and and in the evening I would go to uh, study hall or the library and kind of linger around and you know hang out a little bit. So you know, people kind of start you know dying off and going back to their room. Um, I would go back to their dorm room, change, and run back in the pitch black darkness. I mean, you're hearing coyotes and rattles oh, yeah. and all kind of stuff. Um, but the only person that knew about that was my my uh, uh, my buddy who let me use his his room. Um, but it was just stories like that that you know I was able to try them through and end up uh, having a uh, by the next semester I uh, became an RA uh, which uh, gave me free room and board and now you know <laughs> and then my financial aid kicked in and, and then I find myself back in the uh, financial aid office and, and the director is telling me hey we got a problem you have too much money now uh, <laughs> because the, oh, the RA job took care of my room and board. Right. You know. So now I gotta give money back. But long story short, man, I uh end up having a transformational experience. Uh uh you know, ran on I ran tracking college, joined a team, became a captain, uh we won national championships uh for NAIA and uh, my uh Sophomore and junior year, um, uh, and, uh, you know, just transformational experience. I, you know, uh, uh, became a resident assistant, president of student government, um, first black homecoming king they ever had. Uh, that, <laughs> was, cool. that was, yeah, that was kind of crazy. Um, but I uh, ended up graduating um, with a 3.2 GPA in four years and um what was the uh, degree the, the degree was in education and history i wanted to be uh, a history teacher until i did my student teaching which was right at the end i was like oh no 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh but i was already you know uh done it you know at the end but what i'd realized was uh, it wasn't, I thought it was the teaching aspect, but what I really wanted to do was be in a university environment, an educational environment, um, and not necessarily, you know, in the, in the classroom. Right. Um, and so that kind of started my, my first half of my career uh, in, in university administration. But I um, uh, graduated in, in, uh, in four years. And ironically my parents never came to visit me in those four years uh, I think my, my my younger brother came one time and spent the weekend with me but four years really never had anybody you know coming to visit me uh, there were times when uh, there' was one year where I had it uh, uh, I had a, uh, a job at the mall um, working for Chris during Christmas time at JC and remember back then, the big day for shopping was the day after Christmas.
1: Okay. Mean Thanksgiving or?
2: Yeah, well, you got the Thanksgiving and then you got, you know, the deals that happened during, you know, during that Thanksgiving to Christmas. And then you got another, right.
0: you know, Extra that shopping, time
2: yeah. between Christmas and New Year's. Yeah, right. So, so... Um, I decided that, you know, uh, because school was out, I think like maybe December 10th and it was prime shopping time. So everybody went home, uh, Dean, maybe by the 15th of December. And I decided to stay on campus cause I had a job and one of my friends left me her car. And oh, wow. so the whole campus closed down and I, I was an RA. So I, you know, I was able to stay. By myself on the campus for three weeks because uh, I didn't want to go home to miss, um, you know, the the uh, the the hours to be able to work. So I had Christmas, you know, by myself in my little dorm room. Um, and uh, but but it was just it was just a time that I had to do whatever I needed to do. But um, I graduated in four years and had a transformational experience. And um, uh, uh, and then once I graduated, which was crazy, was that um, because of all the challenges and things that I had gone through, um, I I never went back to campus. Um, and I, you know, a few years later, after you know when I graduated, I went to work at Central Michigan uh, University because uh, uh, I wanted to be a university administrator. And, and then shortly after that, I went to Michigan State, working there, and I got a master's degree. Um, but uh, it took 27 years for me to finally go back to campus. And I kind of buried that whole experience in terms of all the challenges and obstacles. And yeah. I didn't want anybody to know about that, Dean. Uh, because I was embarrassed Um, when I would talk about my college experience. I would talk about Michigan state uh, versus um, Saginaw Valley. And, 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 and and, and it was a positive experience, but I just, you know, I just felt so embarrassed that I had to beg my way into school. I had every challenge. I didn't know how to study, uh, but I overcame it. And so my big thing was you don't need to know how my story started. Right. Just you know I showed up. You can count on me. You know, um, and so it took um, it took the university reaching out to me twenty six years later, <laughs> um, and you know they kept calling me at, at my current job. Was it any uh, of the same
1: people that were there when you were there?
2: Uh, no, no. This was this was all new uh, 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 people. Uh, but here's the crazy thing. Um, so when I was there, I, I was one of the founding members of this organization called OBU, Organization of Black Unity. Um, and it was, you know, our first Black affinity group. Um, and some students, you know, almost 30 years later, were doing research. They were members of this group. And they Googled me and found my story and and for some reason decided to, because um, uh, when I graduated, this, the student newspaper did do a feature story on me. And the title of it was, The University Gets It Right. But they I tell see. the story of this guy who was denied admission and now he's graduating four years later as student government president. Um, and, and giving remarks on behalf of the class. Nice. Um, and so that was buried in the archives and they did this research of the founding members. And so they they submitted a uh, application for the uh, Distinguished Alumni Award. And so the university was reaching out to me after 27 years and saying, hey, uh, Billy, uh, give us a call. Um, we want to talk to you. And I'm like, what? I haven't heard from you guys or talked to anybody in 27 years. Uh, Dean, I'm thinking I still owe some money. Um, and
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking, too. <laughs> when you and I'm called like, them.
2: well, no, nah, not so much. I'm not going to call you guys. If you, you know. So they probably called about five times before my assistant finally said, Billy, I, I got nothing else because you just called him back. You know, because they keep wanting to talk to you. And so when I called them back, they said, look, told me the story. Say, uh, we, we're calling to tell you you won. The university would like to honor you with a Distinguished Alumni Award. This is, we give only one of these uh, a year. Um, and uh, you're our recipient. Would you please come back? And Dean, I, when I tell you I had buried the, all of that experience, never talked to about anybody. And so my immediate response was, wow, I mean, are you sure you got the right person? They go, absolutely. And I told them, I said, I'd have to think about it. I'm not sure I can come back. And so they were shocked. Um, but that was my true answer. And, then I, and I said, "Let me let me think about it. I'll call you back. So, you know, I, I knew in my heart that there was no way I felt like I could go back there because I just, you know, I buried those, life had been good. And, and you know, it just reminded me when so many people doubted me. So I just kind of buried that whole experience. And um, so I I did talk. Probably the only person who knew the journey was my brother. Uh, and uh you know, my parents had passed away by then and and I told him he's a minister uh in Detroit now. Uh <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> and I told him and he was just so excited and but when, when I told him what I what I, I said I couldn't do it, he said, dude, are you kidding me? He said, Man, Billy, you you've been running from this your whole life, man. Oh yeah. God gave you this incredible journey, dude. It's time. It's time to tell the story, man. This is bigger than you, because you were dealt all of these cards um, that say that this wasn't an option for you. And and look at you. You you made you taking lemons and made lemonade. You got to tell this story. Get past whatever it is that you're struggling with. You owe this to other people. So, you know, that wasn't what I was expecting, right? Exactly, for my, my younger brother. Uh, and and I still said, Man, I, I can't, like I just can't. And then he said, Well, look, if you don't do it for you, do it for mine. Yeah,
1: so of we got you that,
2: then. That, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, Oh man, you gonna pull that one out? Uh, and so I decided to do it and uh, end up uh. Uh, having to, I when I say I buried it, I never told my wife any of these stories. Oh, wow. And, you know, I tried to go up there by myself and, you know, because she was pregnant and she insisted in going. So I had to tell her on the way there. And um, and once we got there, it was just this incredible uh, embracing of me and my journey. And, you know, we're getting the awards at, uh, from the board of directors. And you know, I'm, the, I'm the key guest. Of the board of regents and key to the university and giving us gifts and of course you know I get caught up and you know I write a big check you know and, and so which was perfect right on cue um, and uh, so now I'm reconnected and and then I go back to uh, you know we got the ceremony and uh, and and when I tell you Dana, I've never told anybody the story so I told my wife on the way there. And so I decided to share a little bit of the journey and, you know, with this audience of about 500 people. And um, I was able to to, to get through it. Oh, uh, the other thing, I didn't really, you know, want my family or anybody to come because I just wanted to kind of get this over with because I knew I was going to be emotional, but my wife reached out to my family and they brought a whole crew of folks oh, in. Oh no. Yeah, so, uh, so Uh, Basically, you know, told them uh, some parts of the story, but I opened and said, hey, this is a full circle moment for me. Yeah, I could not have imagined uh, that I would be here receiving this uh, because the university originally denied me admission. Uh, But I am grateful and thankful that they gave me this opportunity. And uh, it it changed not only uh, my life, but it changed the trajectory, uh, of my whole, my whole family's life. Cause I now have nieces and nephews, you know, that, uh, are college graduates and cousins. And, uh, cause I was the first one to, to go on to school. Right. Um, and, and so, uh, so, so it was, it was pretty cool, man. Once I, once I got to, got, uh, uh, embraced it and got reconnected and, you know, some of my, uh, uh, Teammates came, my coach,
1: and uh, so it was. It was a pretty special time. Yeah, that's cool, man. And uh, I, yeah, I, I it inspires me every time when I hear the story. And it's just, um it's just a, it's just a testament to uh you know. I wrote down, never stop going for it. You know, I don't even right. know how you would exactly. say that, but I was like, <laughs> Jackson's like, what are we gonna name this episode? I we always figure it out, you know. And I'm just like, man, I just feel like never stop going for it because no matter what, you were like, you were like. I'm not taking no.
2: Right. No is not right. an option. Yeah. yeah, and, that, and, that, and that's, and that's really what, really what it was. It wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't an option for me. And, and, and I tell you the one footnote, um, that I'd be remiss if I didn't say, so after I got reconnected with the university, I'm going back and forth. I'm, I'm speaking, I'm doing different things. I get a call and this is maybe three years later where the university, uh, the president calls me. I think I'm in New York or something. And, um, you know, when I was there as a student, it was maybe 3,000 students there. uh, And now it's like 12,000 or something like that. Uh, And it's a huge campus. And back then when I was there, it was 10 buildings. Um, But uh, he called me and and asked me, he said, uh, what are you doing on you know December? I think it was sixteenth or seventeenth or something like that. And I said, "Well, I you know I'm probably going to be with my family in Arizona. Uh, we usually go there for uh, Christmas." And he said, "Well, we would be honored if you would uh, deliver the commencement uh, uh, to the university." And I, you know, I was silent. I go, "What?" Uh, and he said, yeah, no, I said, I tell him just to the college of education go, no, 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 no. This is, uh, in a stadium to, uh, to all of our graduates matter of fact, it's on Friday and Saturday. So you got to do it twice. Um, (laughs) but yeah, this is, uh, in front of, uh, probably about, uh, 8,000 people, uh, and you know, and I call him Doc. I go, Doc, I, I, what? Are you kidding me? And he goes, Yeah. And I said, Well, okay. Uh and He said, um, I said, well, What was the on the bottom of the list here. You guys couldn't find anybody. And he goes, No, no, just the opposite. I get to, I get to to make these uh, invitations twice a year. Um, and it has to be a unanimous vote from the board of regents uh, for me to extend the uh, the offer, and I'm, I would like to extend it to you. So then, now I'm coming back, and then to you know, talking about a full circle moment, Dean. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, and I and I remember, you know, because I, I you know fretted over the over the speech and. And there's two things, you know, from the speech. One, how I started. I said, uh, um, you know, this is a full circle moment for me. Uh, I remember uh, when I was graduating, which was, you know, almost 30 years, you know, ago, where I sat in your seat. And uh, one of the things that the speaker told me to to do was to dream big. And um, and I remember thinking about that, but I could never have imagined to dream big enough that I would be that same guy coming back to deliver commencement 30 years later. Just just not not, not an option. Um, and then uh, the other thing that that I you know told them, I said one of the things, you know because I shared a little bit about the journey, I said one of the things that kept me motivating, particularly when I was running, you know, um, back and forth from Delta College to Saginaw Valley. um, I had a I had a three words that kind of motivated me and I still use them to this day, but it was the thought of um, why not me? Why not me getting this degree why not me doing this why not me um, and so that's kind of been a theme of my my life and my career um, and so that was kind of the theme of my uh, commencement speech to them nice. um, so 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 yeah so it was it was a full circle uh, experience man that I couldn't have I couldn't have, I couldn't have written this.
1: Oh, well, man. Thank you so much. And, uh, uh, see, I told you we'd use the whole time on the story, man. Cause I, I can't, I, I love hearing the story all the time. So it's like, I wanted everyone to hear it. So, so as we wrap up, uh, you know, you have a you have a book out and you do a lot of speaking as well. And, and when uh, COVID lifts its ban, we can uh, go to public speaking in person. But people can have you for interviews like this or have you speak at, uh, in front of their organizations and help motivate them. What's the best way for them to get a hold of you?
2: Yeah. Um, so I can be reached at uh, bdexter1, um, BDexter1 mm-hmm. at comcast.net. Uh, cell number is 312-315-4599, or even on LinkedIn.
1: Yeah, LinkedIn. Uh, we'll I, I'm, I'm
2: available on, on LinkedIn. Um, and the book, I tell a lot more about the, the journey, but the book is really about um, the lessons that I've learned around making connections. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and it's, and it's called uh, Making Your network the art and science of career and business networking. Um, And I talk about just kind of my journey uh, in the college piece was just the first part of it, but I've had an amazing career uh, uh, with some pretty cool experiences. And a lot of that was built around uh, some of the connections uh, that I've made along the journey that, uh, you know, helped me to you know, I have a pretty full life and, and uh, I'd never even thought about writing a book. Uh, but but the networking thing was something I've just been uh, passionate about for almost 30 years. Um, and people would always say, you should write a book, you're a master networker, you have all these amazing connections and nobody thinks about this like you. Yeah. And so, um, so a couple of years ago, Melissa Wilson Uh, And I had an opportunity to write this amazing book.
1: Yeah. And it is amazing. So, uh, so, so we'll give you uh, all those notes uh, in the show notes folks, and you'll be able to uh, look below wherever you're listening and get all this contact information. But Billy, just uh, from the bottom of my heart, you've been one of my blessed connections and I'm inspired by you. I I love your, uh, I love what you do. I love, um, that we have some similar roots <laughs> that, yes. uh, that really, uh, I think, helps develop who we are and the fact that you are solid about making sure that we all connect. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate you for that, and I appreciate you being one of our influencers. And please don't stop, man. Don't stop.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much for the uh, the opportunity to, to, to share my story. I really appreciate it.
1: You got it, my man. All right, and then we'll uh, we'll see you real soon as soon as everything else opens up, okay?
2: Okay, sounds
1: good. Take care, man.
2: Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to the Influence Factory podcast. We welcome feedback and suggestions. You can provide these by visiting our website at www.myinfluencefactory.com. And if you are interested in Social Jack's 90 Days to Influence program, you can simply go to 90daystobusinessinfluence.com and simply ask for the next steps. We invite you to download episodes on your favorite channel, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and who knows where else in the future. We will also provide occasional on-location live streams with special guests that we will announce in our community Facebook group, Business Influencer Alliance, as well as on all Social Jack channels. Our mission is to help you build your digital business influence, with this podcast, as well as inspire, educate, and entertain those who are hungry to collaborate in a cool place with cool business professionals just like you.